Are you ready? Mm-hmm. No, are you really ready? <laughs> yeah. I'm are you ready, ready to rumble? <laughs> Woo! Biz Women Rock, episode 71. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Kitty Kremitzos. This podcast is wholly dedicated to highlighting the journeys of phenomenal businesswomen from all over the world. Thank you so much for being here. Today we have the fabulous Lauren Oberweger, author, editor, story developer, workshop producer, and all-around writing industry genius. But before we get into Lauren, we're going to start with our Business Women Wednesday series. The woman I have the pleasure of highlighting today is Michelle Boyd DeJong. Michelle made the leap out of corporate a few years ago to start her own writing company. She's a phenomenal writer and offered copywriting services to businesses all over the place. And she's also been super active in her community with a lot of different charities. But back on March 14th of 2014, Michelle was diagnosed with a stage four brain cancer. And since then, she has embodied the word fighter in everything that she's been doing. I've known Michelle personally for a few years now, and I just know that she is mind-blowing amazing. (laughs) I mean, just truly a phenomenal person. So I would love for you to go and support her. She is currently selling t-shirts that say fighter on them because that's who she is. And all of those proceeds are going to an account that she can put away as she needs for their treatment. So I highly encourage you, go to bizwomenrock.com, go check her out, and um, go buy a t-shirt. Are you ready to supercharge your business forward? Do you want to learn from and hang out with like-minded entrepreneurs? Do you want a really great excuse for an awesome vacation? Then you have to come and join me on this year's Marketers Cruise. Every single year, we go out of Tampa, go travel to Cozumel, And not only do we have such a great time hanging out with everyone, but you get access to the most amazing education that will truly impact your business. The cruise is October 23rd through the 27th, and I highly recommend that you get your tickets ASAP because rooms are selling out fast. I totally launched this entire podcast because of what I heard on the cruise last year, and I would love for your business to have that same impact. So come with me. I will be there. I will be talking about podcasting. I would love to see you there. All you have to do is go to bizwomenrock.com. My guest today is Lauren Oberweger, who's the owner of Free Expression Seminars and Literary Services and author of the brand new book, Boomerang. Now, this is a really special interview for me because Lauren and I have actually been very close friends for about 12 years now, and I've had the opportunity to watch her business grow and see all the great creative things that she does. So here's a really quick story on how we met. So it was 12 years ago, I had just moved to Tampa, and I was flying back to Arizona to go see my family. That's where I'm from. And um, and I'm at the airport, and I, look, I'm very, very much a gregarious person. I love being around people, but when it comes to traveling, I totally keep to myself. I want to just, you know, get my book, get on the airplane, be quiet, not talk to anyone. And so very uncharacteristically, I saw this woman who was just kind of standing there, you know, waiting for her flight, 
and I just happened to start chatting it up with her. Later, I actually find out that, you know, this was, Lauren was recently separated. This was like her first, um, you know, workshop that she was going to without her husband there to help her. So she, you know, in her own words, feels like she had this little dark cloud over her. So she was like, why would you even want to come talk to me? <laughs> but I, we ended up striking up a conversation. I ended up getting on the plane with her. We end up sitting down and for the entire five hours of the flight, end up chatting it up like crazy and just have such a great spark. And just I knew from the moment that this was such a phenomenal friend of mine for life. And by the end of that flight, she actually invited me to come and work for her. So um, all the things that you're about to hear about her company, I actually worked in her company for about two years um, back in 2002, 2003, around that time. And I can attest to where she was and where she's come from and all of the great things that she's done. It's been such a cool journey to watch so intimately. This woman was like made to be an author. She was made to work with words. She truly has passion for words and stories. And it's just a brilliant writer. So in this conversation, she goes really deep with how the inner workings of the traditional publishing industry really work, what the different components are, how you get your book to, you know, be published traditionally, why you would want to do that, as well as talking about all the different components of her business that she continues to evolve and change in order to meet the demands of her clients who are writers themselves. You're really going to love this interview. Please stay tuned for afterwards when I give my biggest takeaways because she's got some great ones in here. So let's get on with the interview. Thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Katie. I'm cracking up because you and I have known each other for a long time. Like it's been like 12 years now that we have been friends. You were like one of the first people I met when I first moved out to Florida 12 years ago. And we've just been chatting on the phone this whole time. So finally had to hit record <laughs> and get the conversation going so everyone can could listen in. For knowing you for 12 years, I have had the privilege of A, actually working inside of your company as an employee and part of the team. So I've, I have this really cool, intimate knowledge of your company and the way that you work. And B, as your friend for all these years, I've really had the opportunity to see your business grow and develop and continue to evolve. And it's been fascinating to me. And so I'm so, so incredibly honored that I get to share that with everyone. So are you ready? <laughs> I am ready. I'm very excited. And yeah, I'm, I'm so looking forward to this. Good. Okay, cool. So you are somebody that I would consider really understands and is super integrated into the traditional publishing space, specifically for fiction writing. And you know that space so intimately. You've been around for 19 years in this industry. So what I really want to start with is how you even got into this industry in the first place. How did you even know that you loved writing and kind of the, the art of writing? Right. Well, it's, uh, that's a little bit like asking kind of how did I know I love to breathe? You know what I mean? <laughs> that I love to be alive. I don't remember any time in my life when I wasn't writing, when I wasn't reading absolutely voraciously. I think if you had a, you know, a picture of every day of my adolescence and childhood, you'd only see a book in front of my face and nothing else. <laughs> uh, so I adore stories. And as I develop in my education, I had a lot of great opportunities from literally the high school literary magazine to college internships to my first jobs out of college in 
little regional educational and human resource publishing houses and all kinds of avenues for getting to hone my skills as an editor and as a writer, as somebody who had to produce on deadline. But for me, it's always been story and the, and the world of fiction that drew me. And I was lucky enough to start at a writing workshop many years ago when I was very young. I was in my 20s, and at that point, I was one of the youngest people to ever go to this workshop, which was led by a wonderful instructor, Gary Provo. And he really taught the nuts and bolts of writing craft. And those same fundamentals are things that I literally was just teaching people at a retreat that my company ran in Tucson, from which I just returned, (laughs) and I'm still recovering. Um, (laughs) And then so, you know, there's a very definite through line since that kid reading on her back porch to where I am right now and, and have always sought out work in the space of words, in the space of storytelling, and have developed from there. So what was it that made you really start kind of doing your own thing as a writer? And what was that? And what did that look like? I can't remember it exactly as one moment. In terms of hanging on my own shingle, I had been working in other places. I had been working, as I said, in, in you know small publishing houses in what was called Quality of Life magazine production and really just working as a craftsman writer. Here's your assignment. Here's what you're doing. But along the way, too, I had been involved in the writing workshop and, and other writing workshops and had started to respond to people's work and bring my knowledge to bear sort of a, on an amateur level almost, but I, I knew right away that I was good at it, and people started seeking me out for it. For the and, editing, um, right? For the editing, yeah. And, and editing, which is also part, when we talk about editing, I think so many people understand it to be line editing, improving the words, but really the kind of editing that I was you know, so good at, I, mean, I think I'm a great line editor, but for me too, it was being able to get inside a story and understand a writer's intention for it on almost an instinctive level. Um, and that's probably as a result of being such a giant bookworm for so long and, and just really breathing story and having great teachers. And so it was almost like my career sought me out. And when my now ex-husband had an opportunity to take a job in Texas, we were in Florida at, the, at that point, I decided that that was a good opportunity for me to really wanted to um, life as an independent book editor and story developer and freelance writer um, because we had a little bit of a cushion to do that. And I had already kind of amassed interested clients and they were starting to talk to each other. Well, let's dig in a little deeper to that because I think that sort of there's this image of the struggling broke writer, freelance writer that is just kind Uh of hustling to get whatever jobs that they can. What did you truly do? Like what strategy and actions did you take to really bring on client after client, whether it was just for editing or for freelance jobs as well? I definitely did. I did things that I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily recommend to other people. So I had, um, for a long time, I had an ad in a magazine called Writer's Digest, which is really the, the dominant publication for aspiring writers. And just a little ad letting people know about my services and I started getting some customers that way but it also attracted a lot of really fringy kind of crazy people too (laughs) it was such a public it was such a I mean I had a guy who was sending me these crazy missives from prison and oh wow I mean it kind of attracted it was 
it was like just it was sort of like if you shot a million arrows off a bow, you know what I mean? They just they went everywhere and and so I wasn't initially smart about attracting a specific clientele with a specific philosophy toward developing the writing skills. I was just like, you know, peppering the world with, I'm here, hire me, and people did. And for me, the the greatest way that I went about it, the smartest thing I did, was to continue being associated with that writer's retreat workshop and to start teaching writing craft, you know, getting plugged into other writing organizations that would bring in speakers. So the Romance Writers of America had a group that met, this was in Beaumont, Texas at the time, and, you know, I would go in and, and teach some classes for them, and people would get the impression that even though I was a young whippersnapper, I knew a little bit about what I was talking about, and so, you know, somebody would be interested in hiring me. So for me, and this continues to this day, really, the smartest thing I've done, the most effective thing I've done is to be on the ground and meet people and talk fiction craft to them and to help them in a, in a variety of capacities so that they, you know, they can determine for themselves that I'm the real deal, that I understand what they're trying to accomplish. And and for me, so much of my business now is word of mouth and referrals from people. So really, the bill started gaining critical mass when I started introducing my workshops and, and finding other ways to to actually help writers because that was always my primary concern. And so the, the more ways I found to do that, the more writers I obviously reached, and the more I could really get a handle on what they were looking for and help provide that. Mm. Let's move right into that. You, at some point, did launch workshop series, and mm-hmm. you've since actually have a multitude of different workshops that you actually provide under your banner. So talk a little bit about why you launched the actual workshop series, how you did that, and what that really looked like for you logistically. Sure. I think my guiding principle has always been, this seems like a good idea that will help people. And and I'm always really interested in how to reach people and how to help them move ahead and and get closer to achieving their dreams. So for me, I was at a writing workshop, the Writer's Retreat Workshop, which I mentioned a couple of times now, and was there with a literary agent, Donald Moss, who had just written, it hadn't even been published yet, but he wrote a wonderful book for fiction writers called Writing the Breakout Novel. And he taught a few lessons from that. And for me, it was really transformative. And I thought he was saying things that hadn't been taught. And he was talking about craft on a really deep level. And I got personally excited as a writer. And that's usually my sort of my true north, you know, in terms of how I develop things is as a writer myself, what do I want? What would I want to give people if I was a writer going to a conference? What would I like that to to represent. So I asked Don, and we'd known each other over the years, if he'd be interested in putting on a weekend seminar, because I thought this is something that could really help people develop. And he said yes, and I went home and I said, I better figure out how to put on a workshop. (laughs) I had very little idea. But I come from a very entrepreneurial background. My parents both had their own businesses at various points. My sister was running a software company out of her bedroom right out of college and that grew into a bigger company and a computer store for a while and all of us have just had that feeling that we could go ahead and develop things for ourselves and that we could move ourselves along in life without necessarily waiting for somebody to employ us and help us up a ladder. So I went home, I started thinking about, okay, well, what do you need? You need a venue, <laughs> you need to you know, organize registrations, you need some way for people to pay. You need to get a clear idea of what you're offering because you need to express that in your promotions. 
And I just went and, you know, built a thing at a time. And, of course, now I think Don and I were just together, and I think this was our 50th, about our 50th workshop together. Wow. Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those have been going on. I guess we were in our, our 13th year of those. And that whole series has continued to evolve. It started out as weekend seminars. And then I realized that people wanted more meaningful contact with Don and with other industry professionals to help them, to help sit down with them one-on-one. So I developed the week-long workshops that we do that have been really successful. And then we just did one now, which was sort of an extension of that week-long workshop because we realized, okay, there are all these people, there's this family of students who have been with us for a long time who want more, who want to be pushed even further who want even more direct one-on-one time with all of us, who want more story development time. So I engineered at a smaller learning retreat that was sort of an advanced version of what they learned in this other workshop, which is already a pretty advanced workshop for writers as it is. So the Breakout Novel Weekend became the Breakout Novel Intensive, which is a week-long, which became now the Breakout Novel Learning Retreat. So it's about feeding that audience that already exists and also finding people who have the same goals and dreams that I do as a writer. Um, and, and so far, that's been pretty successful, and I've added other things along the way. And, and again, just as anything else, some trial and error, for sure, and have worked with people whose philosophies didn't quite correspond with mine, so stopped doing workshops with those folks or didn't take on those workshops. And just really, sometimes it's just, education plus seat of the pants willingness to experiment. <laughs> That's yeah. the truth. That's the truth in most everything, yeah. whether it's events or whether anything. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You have to be willing to risk. I mean, I think that's what keeps a lot of people is they tell themselves, I don't know how to do this thing, so I can't try it. And for me, I always think I, if I have a, a basically functioning brain and other people on earth are doing writing workshops, then I should be able to kind of piece out how to do that. Now, I don't know that that applies with like brain surgery or rocket science. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not that full of ego that I would imagine doing that. But some things you just have to believe that you can take it apart and do it a thing at a time and, and build it. Over all of these years, what have been the major kind of lessons that you have learned in putting on these events and building out these events? And the lessons I know are going to come from pain points of you probably having to learn that lesson the hard way. So what were some of those major lessons that you've learned along the way? I think there are a lot of them. I think that one, you can't go wrong if you are sincerely invested in your client success. Um, I think that a lot of people are interested in making money first and they're not thinking about that, that customer. But I think for me, actually, that's not even a I think I, I had that sort of, I was tapped into that, but I've seen a lot of other workshops and editorial services companies kind of come and go because that wasn't their bottom line. But in terms of pain points, for me, systems organization, because I'm a writer, and this is a generalization and probably maybe unfair, but my brain works in certain areas really well and in other areas not so well. <laughs> I have say I have like one giant developed muscle around story and and story development and, and writing. But for me, the organizational stuff has been problematic and continues to be challenging in terms of balancing communications with people who are interested in my services, interested in workshops, tackling all the, the paperwork that goes with registrations, dealing with venues. There's a lot of paperwork and there's there are a lot of systems 
and a lot of balls to juggle in that arena. Um, and for many years, when I was first starting out, I didn't take it all as seriously as a business. I took the work seriously, and I cared about the writers, and I cared about doing absolutely my best work. But I didn't take seriously or understand the real need for the infrastructure to be strong. And so I would kind of barely be aware of what was in my business bank account <laughs> and money would just kind of flow in and flow out. And, and I had, you know, I would pay for things like advertising without thinking about, well, what, you know, do I have an actual budget for this or have get help from people and think about, can I afford to really pay them? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so at some point I just kind of operating on whatever, just the sheer joy of what I was doing and not, you know, down in the trenches like you do need to be. So the pain points came from some hard realities of, oh, crap, I actually don't have enough money in my business bank account right this minute to pay for this upcoming event. And that's bad. (laughs) (laughs) That can't be a good thing. (laughs) No, no. No, strangely enough, venues who provide you a place to hold your meeting and, and food like to get paid for those things. So I had to really get smarter about that that aspect of things and tell myself it's, it's not just about this really important creative work that I really value. It's about also keeping myself afloat in a smart way while I was doing that. It's about being able to communicate with people in a timely fashion, which is still sometimes a challenge even you know 20 years into my business. And it's about making sure that I don't get myself into situations where doing something I love is actually causing me stress. That's been a a big lesson there. I really want to focus some energy on the fact, uh, really the industry that you know so well. So let's start out Mm -hmm. with the fact that A, you have been a published author for quite some time. You had published some poetry years ago. And as of this t- the time of this recording, actually, you you were about to come out with the first of a three-series novel that you have co-written with another woman. And so you definitely know this industry, and you have done traditional publishing within this writing industry. So I want to talk first about what you know about this industry, because I think sometimes there's so much buzz around self-publishing and getting your book onto Amazon. And there's nothing wrong with that by any means. No, no, of course. But there's still like traditional publishing is not dead. And so I really would love to shine some light on that on some of the processes that you have gone through. And I want to talk specifically about your current book, because it's so fresh for you. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe the process that you have gone through in getting your book published? Absolutely. And just as a quick answer to traditional publishing being dead, the the latest numbers just show that traditional publishing houses earned a total of like $27 billion in revenue last year. So they're still chugging along. And for me specifically, I had been involved in traditional publishing for a very long time, as you mentioned, and had done all kinds of things, had poetry published, had short stories published, had been part of some successful anthologies and of course as an editor had been helping people propel themselves in that space as well and so one of those people who was an editing client who I'd worked with for many years and who became much to my great pride and I'm sure more more of hers became a New York Times bestselling author this last year her name is Veronica Rossi she has a wonderful series a young adult series that I helped her with as an editor and a story development coach 
And we'd been friends for a long time. I'd actually met her at a breakout novel intensive, so she was a student first, and we kind of went from there. But we had been talking about how much fun it would be to do a project together and a writing project where we could be partners in the, in the you know, the full collaborative process. I had an idea that had been sitting around for a little while, and we started to develop it, and then we started working together. But we decided to try to sell it on the basis of a proposal, which is extremely rare in the fiction space. In nonfiction, you can do that pretty much all the time, except with memoir, it's a little bit trickier. But that's what they're used to seeing in the nonfiction world. They're used to seeing a, a book proposal that comes to an agent or goes to an editor at a publishing house. In fiction, they really expect you to have the full book written. But because of Veronica's success, because of a little bit of my reputation, and we had our agents, our husband and wife, in the same agency, so we had sort of their their blessing and their representation. We sat down and hammered out about 45 pages of a story, and character bios takes place in a fictional in the offices of a fictional online dating site. So what we did is we created character bios that were their profiles on this website, this dating website called Boomerang, which is also the title of the novel. And so we had those bios, we had those 45 pages of the story, and we had a synopsis of the first one and the next two books that we had in mind. And we sent those off to, it was actually Veronica's editor uh, at her publishing house who didn't really handle this particular genre, but we thought she could give us some guidance, and she kicked it right up the line to the, the perfect person for us, which is our editor, Tessa, in a different division of the same publishing house, Harper. And so they loved it, and they came back with an offer, I think, literally within like five days. Something, oh, wow. you know, astonishing. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. And, you know, a little bit of back and forth, which the agent took care of, and the writers get to just be in their ivory tower, which is you know, a wonderful thing about having an agent, part of the whole traditional publishing process. And, yeah, and then we sold the book at the very end of August. They wanted the first one at the end of November. <laughs> and so wow. it was a very fast process. The first three books will all come out within about a year of each other. So the next one, we turned in book number two just recently. And Boomerang, the first one comes out on July 8th. So it's about a week. Wow. <laughs> it's so exciting. It's, it's this particular industry because it's a contemporary romance. It, it, they, the readership wants stories. They're very hungry for stories. So they, they tend to try to get those books out pretty quickly. So they'll be about six months apart. So what was your actual writing process with Veronica? So you, you realized you only had a short amount of time to be able to get right. them draft number one. What was your actual writing process? How did you guys co-create that? We each took a character. It's from two different characters' viewpoints. So I, I got to be the girl, Mia, who <laughs> I absolutely love. And Veronica was the boy, Ethan was a really sexy soccer star and all-around hottie, of course. And so what we did was we just alternated scenes. So I would write a scene from Mia's point of view that would lead to a scene from Ethan's point of view and so on. And if we would write each other's character, obviously, in our scenes, Mia would interact with Ethan in the scenes I would write. So if there's anything that I did that Veronica didn't think quite represented Ethan the way she heard him or imagined him, she could go in and tweak those, and I would do the same for her. Mia in the scenes that she appeared in Veronica's writing. So we just went back and forth, and we had a really challenging time during that same just three months. I was still putting on all these workshops, which I still do, and traveling an awful lot, and 
some other kind of personal stuff here and there to, to contend with. So it really took a lot of just gutting it out and working together and trusting that we both had the same goal of, of writing a really great story and turning it in on deadline, <laughs> you know, wow. meeting our deadline. And learning, we had had a different dynamic to our relationship because as an editor, my job is to really get into the story that my clients want to write and help facilitate that and then just disappear, basically, and let them make their own choices. As collaborators, we were completely equal, had equal say, and so it was a little bit of negotiating that, but we have a great, very direct and honest relationship, and Veronica is a wonderful writer and a really tremendous person, and so any little bumps and bruises along the way, we really try to negotiate in a very clear-eyed and, and direct and honest way, again, with the knowledge that our friendship was the most important thing and, and that nothing else would matter more than that, and that really helped. And we turned out, of course, I'm slightly biased, I suppose, but I think the book is phenomenal, and, and I think the fact that it was a collaboration made it even more so because neither of us would have written the other character, the other's character. If I was going to write a guy character for somebody to fall in love with, it wouldn't have been Ethan necessarily. But so it, it lent this wonderful air of romance in a way because we got to discover each other's characters and we got to sort of have the feeling to our character's eyes of falling in love. And really exciting and, and said, it's also very funny, so we would make each other laugh and make each other swoon. It's just a really great process all overall. I'm really grateful to have had that one and to continue to have it. You took Boomerang to the publishers as a trilogy, really. I mean, you said here yes. the ideas for book number one, book number two, book number three. What did that truly mean for the contract that you were given? I mean, you hear so much, so so many things about, oh, the publisher takes so much money and you only get pennies to every dollar that they make. What are the realities behind that? Like, what percentage do you guys truly make off of the book? How does the advance work? Like, can you kind of walk through how that whole sure. financial process works? Right. And it's a little different for different contracts. But basically, it's true that a writer will make more per copy if he or she self-publishes. And I'll qualify that slightly because people who are doing self-publishing the right way are still paying for professionals to help them work on those projects. So they're still paying for independent book editors like me. They're still paying for good cover designers good people to do interior layout. So it might look one way on the surface, but people who are really achieving in that space are treating it as though they're publishers themselves. Got it. And, that and that's something thing. that a publishing house really would take care of, all those that internal exactly. stuff. Exactly. Right. A publishing house, right. You have, an, you have an editor, you have a copy editor, you have a sales team, you have cover designers, you have interior designers, you have proofreaders, you have people driving the trucks and distributing the books, you have people who are going around and talking to buyers for bookstores behind every book, there are a lot of people amassed to support your success. And that's where I think we, we kind of lose track of the conversation sometimes. It's not the publisher being greedy and just keeping your money. They're paying a staff of people to do a great job and to be phenomenal collaborators with you. And then one thing I can tell you in terms of the contract, and we'll go back to like the advanced issue. So, for us, yes, we got an, an advance that is based on three books, and the way it pays out is usually they give you, they pay it in like installments for each book. So it'd be 
a third, a third, and a third for each book. It's a third upon signing, a third upon acceptance when they say, okay, we accept this draft. <laughs> this is it. We're ready to go into production. And then a third upon the book's release. So with three books, that third upon signing is actually a pretty big chunk because they're paying you a third from each book. And then that money goes to our agents, and the agents take out 15% for all the hard work they do of selling it and negotiating and being the tough guys. <laughs> and also beyond that, really looking out for the author's rights. There are a lot of rights that go into a publishing contract. There are world distribution rights. There are English language only rights. There are film rights. There are ancillary rights. There are all kinds of things where an agent really knows so much more than a writer and so, knows what's worth fighting over, what's worth trying to keep and hold on to for the writer, what's worth conceding to the publisher. In our case, you know, our agents were smart enough to say, okay, it's a really great offer and that's wonderful. We'd also, if this book is really successful, we'd like you to build in some bonuses. So if it sells more than X copies, you're going to pay our authors a bonus of this amount. Um, if you're, you know, if it sells more than this, then it'll be this amount. Um, so, and they are also tapped into, there's a whole world in traditional publishing that we don't talk about much, which has to do with distribution and the reach of a book and the ability for readers to discover a book. And one of the things that happened right away to us is we sold that book in three other countries. Oh, wow. And in independent publishing, there's really not, there aren't really opportunities to do that very easily. And the only way that ever happens is if a book succeeds so wildly in the U.S. that somehow it gets noticed, usually by a traditional publisher who could then help broker those deals. But because our agents were smart enough to hold on to as many of those rights as they could, they were able to sell it into, I think our first ones were Brazil, Italy, and Germany. And we have another one pending, but I can't say anything yet because it's still... You're paying out 15% to your agents who are really acting as like master negotiators for exactly. all sorts of components and extra components that you guys could possibly get. So right. they're they're being your reps and sort of looking out out for what's best for you guys. A thousand percent. And their work, I mean, and I had used my agents before this to help broker some ghostwriting projects I had. And, and right off the bat, with the very first one, which was a job that came to me, so I didn't need to get an agent. I already had the job, but I thought this was a big enough project that it might be worth having somebody help me negotiate it, where I'd always before done my own or, you know, had attorneys kind of jump in and just look at the contract. And right off the bat, she, she doubled my pay. Oh, wow. So for so she paid for herself. <laughs> more, and, that, and that was exactly what she said to me. I would love to do this and I want to make sure that I made myself worth it. So she did that right away and has been great. But even again, our agents have a film agent and somebody who deals with film and TV. And that person is sending the project around to see if anybody would be interested in it for that world. And again, so that's all, those are all arenas that most people who are involved in independent publishing don't really have available to them. So whatever the per book, the per book profit is for me is, is, is one issue. But the reality is that maybe on a per book level, I won't get as much, but they're able to distribute to so many more places. Another part of it all is that one of the one of the things that we've gotten, which is really great, which again, doesn't happen for independent publishers, is we sold into Target. Oh, so wow. Right away, that's a big deal. That's a huge big deal. It doesn't happen to very many traditional novels in terms of the whole 
spectrum of how many are out there. But right away, we sold whatever, 5,000 copies to Target stores and however many also to a big airline bookstore chain. And again, putting a book on Amazon and trying to find people to come to come seek it out, it's, a, it's just a completely different process. And so I don't, I, I'm not concerned about, of course, I want to make a good wage per copy, and I am with the cover price. It's, I think on hardback, I'm trying to write on hardback with the paperback. I think it's 10% of the, I can't even remember actually what it is. I have to look at my contract. But if it was just apples to apples, like how much will I make off this book on Amazon compared to if I uploaded it to Amazon myself and I only sold one copy, yes, that the you know the independently published book would be, earn, earn me more for that one copy, but I could probably sell several hundred maybe if I worked really hard on Amazon compared to 10,000 with all the help of the traditional publishing world or more. I mean, people who will succeed in that arena sell millions. I have clients who are published who sold 10,000 copies of their book in their first week. Wow. Well, that really, I've never heard of that happening to anybody in the, in the independent publishing space on Amazon. And again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's just about being realistic about all sides of process and all sides of the industry. So let's talk a little bit about what can happen with a really well-written book. I know your book very intimately. It's a beautifully written book. And the very first thing that popped in my mind when I was reading through it was, my God, this would be an awesome movie or TV show or something. So right. can you give us a little bit about what truly happens behind the scene if somebody has written something that is sort of Hollywood made and packaged or like really like could potentially be something great for Hollywood? Like what's some of the processes that are, are gone through in order to kind of move it into that direction? Right. Well, and right now ours is, out in that world and and you never know what's going to happen and and sometimes people are super interested in a book sometimes people love the book but they've already seen a number of things kind of like it so it's not right in terms of what's going on in Hollywood or TV and, and movie production in general but for people who do succeed in that space one of the first things they do is first of all you have a film agent who helps rep rep that so like I said, our agents work with this film agent. He sends it out to people who are scouts for production companies. He sends it directly to production companies and studios. And so for the people who, who actually get bought, bought up, the, what they do is a studio, for example, will option. What, they'll do what's called optioning the project. So that basically means in a way that they're renting the material. So they'll, they'll ask for an option for a year or two years or six months, whatever it is. And that is about allowing them to have ownership of it and the ability to develop it exclusively. So they're buying the right to have that exclusive possession of the material for a period of time. And then because in Hollywood, things really seem to move either incredibly quickly or very, very slowly, <laughs> what will happen sometimes is either they'll start moving something into development right away, which means then they'll hire a screenwriter or work with a writer to develop a screenplay. They'll start looking at directors and actors. And, I mean, it's a very long process. Or it'll kind of sit there as something that's on the shelf to be put into production when they start really moving on it. And so what happens often is somebody will have an option for a year, let's say, and nothing much will happen, and they'll say, can we option it again? And they'll say, okay. So they'll keep kind of holding on to it until they're ready to develop it, 
or until they decide we're not going to develop this project, so we'll release the option. And at that point, the writer has the ability to then option it to somebody else. So if, again, there's an option and that moves into production, then there are whole sort of new contracts to be signed. Then writers can participate in, obviously, some of the profits from whatever movie or television show or movie, you know, TV movie, uh, you know, is produced. Um, and, and so that can then be, an inc- I mean, you know, an unbelievable upside. Depends on the project. I have clients whose stuff has been optioned and made into, like, lifetime movies, and that's one level. And then there are people like J.K. Rowling. <laughs> that's a know, whole other level. <laughs> right, exactly. And so she's got theme park. Into- she's got, you know, exactly. rides at the theme park. She's got action figures, all that stuff. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's, you know, that is really sort of, or like the Hunger Games, that's pretty much the kind of astronomical end of the spectrum. But a lot of people I know who are great productive working writers who are are multi-published, they've had several projects go into production and be made into movies, be made into TV movies, developed into TV series. And they've made a really, really nice amount of money and a nice living from just that one, that one project or the, the few projects that they sold. So it's just like in publishing, there's a big spectrum. You can have a wildly best-selling novel. You can have something that sells pretty modestly. There's just there's a, such a big range in terms of that level of success. So, Lauren, your Boomerang the Book comes out in early July. Where can people go to be able to get the book? People can go everywhere get it and should. <laughs> because of distribution, um, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, one of the things that really helps writers is people phoning their local bookstores and asking for books because it puts the it puts the book on the manager's radar. It makes them think, oh, we should put this book at the front of the store. We should recommend it to people. The best thing that can happen to writers is, is, is to have readers who are enthusiastic spread the word and to have people who are interested ask for the book. So any independent bookstore, any Barnes & Noble, any Books A Million, any, any local bookstore, is great. Amazon, of course, is also great and easy way to get books. Target, you know, I imagine there will be other other places that stock it as well, but it should be available widely. And I imagine it will be, it will already be on the shelves at the, sort of the, the major chains. But it's, like I said, it's really great if you have a beloved local, you know, independent bookstore to order it to them. It helps support them. It helps support, support the writer. It gets their books showcased in a place where readers are really likely to see it, or sometimes in Barnes & Noble, even if they put it on you know, what's called like an end cap display, which is you know for front and center for the people coming to the store, it's one of so many books that it, it, you know, it can be overlooked. So readers should be able to find it, knock on wood, <laughs> you know, everywhere. And then it'll be, actually, I just received as a very happy surprise today, the audio book. And I didn't realize it was releasing before the book, and I Yay. got it. I got, I got the CDs, and I don't even think I have a CD player <laughs> still. <laughs> I'm like, oh, who, who still has a CD player I can use? But yeah, the audiobook is available, and the narrators are awesome for that. And it's available on ebook, it's available on paperback. Yeah, widely. widely so. It's worth mentioning that the pen name that you and Veronica came up with, like, you will not see Boomerang by Veronica Rossi and Lauren Oberweger. You're going to see right. Boomerang by Noel August, which is the pen name right. that you guys came up with. So it'll be very obvious once you see Noel August that it's Lauren and Veronica. So just as, a, right. as an FYI to everyone. 
definitely. So we've spent all this time talking about your book and thank you so much for getting so deep into the publishing world with us. I want to make sure that we hit upon a few major components of your business that we haven't even talked about yet that are really kind of what light your fire on top Mm -hmm. of the writing projects that you're doing. But that really is your story development. I want you to talk a little bit about what it is and walk us through kind of how how you actually get people to come to those, how you decided what to charge. Talk us through exactly what that looks like for you. Okay, that actually sprang, we had talked a little bit about various points, pain points, (laughs) and this story development work came out of a very specific pain point, which was a time in which I was just struggling, I think, with the business a little bit and with financial matters and things like that. But it, it made me think about what, aren't I giving people as an editor? What do, what do writers need that they're not being provided as extensively as they could be? And what I realized was so many people were so hungry to work with me and to have help, but they didn't have books ready. They just, they didn't have novels ready for me to edit. And so they, what they really needed help with and what they were really floundering about was just the development of those stories. They had great ideas, they had characters, they had interesting locations, they had tremendous conflict, but they didn't have any way of pulling it together and giving it a shape and making it do as much work dramatically as it could. So I, you know, I started thinking, oh, it'd be so great to be able to go sit down with somebody over a weekend or a few days during the week and build their story with them. And um, and that's not do it there to do it through Skype or on the phone or through another you know medium. But I really love the idea of face to face work with somebody. And I started thinking about well, what would that look like? You know, how many hours would that take? Where I thought we could really do productive work. And like anything else that I've done, I was willing to just give it a try and keep tweaking along the way. And luckily felt confident enough that no matter what, I would give my clients a valuable experience. So even if, you know, they're they're sort of my test audience, you know, (laughs) that I knew that it would be worthwhile. And so I started thinking about, well, all the things that I teach, all the things that I put in my evaluations, how do I help people create strong stories right off the bat? The foundationally speaking, how can I help them write really amazing books. So, you know, that that would take the shape of, like I said, I would sit down with them over a weekend. We'd start with a little bit of what they had. We would brainstorm all the possibilities for these characters. And we would talk about their backstories and their histories and really get into who those characters were, what their longings were, what propelled them, how to make all of those things deeper and richer and more interesting and more dramatic, how to pull in more conflict and more tension because that's really so much of what storytelling is, is about, is keeping readers in that state of like delicious apprehension where you just have to keep turning the page because you want to know, are these two people going to get together? Is this person going to solve a murder? Is this person going to go home again and care for the dying father? You know, whatever it is, helping them really identify those strong story questions and build on them. And it turned out to be an incredibly profound experience for both me and my clients. And some of the first ones I did, and really, I would say every single one of these these sort of mini workshops I've done has been amazing and has helped create some phenomenal stories. 
and it helps people know that they've got this incredibly solid foundation. And I do a lot of story development. I, I, I was kind of interested in this because so much of what I do at a workshop when I'm having a one-on-one -on -one meeting with one of my students is in a half an hour to try to develop the story as much as possible or to say, you know, this element kind of lacks credibility, but have you considered looking at it this way? Have you considered something like this? Perhaps this would be stronger. Does that interest you? And again, it always has to be something the writer is going to embrace. You know, I could have a million ideas, but it has to be ideas for the story they want to tell. And that's really the key for me is that I can kind of drill into that and help them do something that fires them up artistically. And so that's been absolutely stunning. And I do some of that work, too, for some packaging companies that have developed material to sell to publishers and have gotten to do more and more of that along the way. And it's people have really responded to that as a service. So I, you know, I, I guess I was on the right track. Lauren, what I love about this particular component of your business is that especially for if somebody is a writer, just like you had mentioned before, like it's it's usually like your creative muscle that's the most powerful and the one that you love working out. And so this really is like a beautiful, let's call it this service that you get to provide that really works that muscle that allows you to live in that creative space. You're truly providing a value and it's such a boutique service. And so it's truly one-on-one. -on -one. You're able to carve out X amount of days with just this client. It's a huge value that they see. And it's like this in, in your sort of tiered approach to all these different services that you offer. It's really a top tier kind of a thing because it's so intimate with your knowledge base, with your connections, with getting deep into their story. And I mean, this has brought you out to Hawaii. Like people have brought you out to Hawaii <laughs> to spend a week with them to go through story development because when you have a writer who's just so passionate about wanting to get their book out there, they need to call in all the forces of the people who are th the best of the best of what they do. And I got to tell you, story development is like you are mind blowing when it comes to that. So I just love showing the business aspect about how you've been able to productize this. It's something that you mm -hmm. truly love spending your time doing and it's providing a huge resource for people. And yes, you're doing it one on one with somebody, but that doesn't mean just because there aren't eight people in one session doing it, that it can't be a really viable business product. It actually works really, really well. Right. It does. And I'm lucky because I do get to do, I get to do it in groups too. Of course, it's not, they don't get as much time, but I've been plugged into like a group of friends, four or five friends might have a writing retreat and bring me in and I might work over the course of three days with everybody and then help them feed each other. So I get to do it on all levels for a big group of 35 students, for a group of five writers, for, again, what we're talking about really is this one-on-one. -on -one. And there are always, there's a challenge when you are the product in a way. There are, there's only so much of me to go around. And, and I also work with an amazing, another editor, my associate, Brenda Winberg, who does some of this, and she's also a phenomenal editor on the page. And also an amazing writer. So, you know, I have her too, but for the most part, for her and for me, we're we're just one person. <laughs> and there's only so much of us to go around, as I said, and there's only so much traveling I'm able to do and keep up with the other things and my own writing deadlines. And, and so I have to price that as a product. I have to think about what I'm offering and the overall value of my time and the value of the 25 plus years of experience as an editor and 
yeah, but it's not like producing widgets. It's limited in terms of I'll never get to be like a story development mogul on this level, and that's not what's important to me. But I think a lot of people who are their own product, this is something that's a constant, it's an issue that needs kind of constant revisiting to think about, well, how do I continue to grow my business if my business is so based on just me? For now, I think a lot of consultants kind of deal with that kind of thing. And for now, I, I'm not worried about it too much. And I'm, I'm glad to be able to plug in and do that and to be the product and the service, you know, kind of at the same time. Like you said, it taps into the thing I love the most. And, you know, helping develop story is an absolutely amazing experience. Helping people unlock things. I mean, I've had people cry because they had been working and working and working on a story for literally a decade and I was able to in an hour unlock something that they weren't able to see that changed everything and allowed them to move ahead with this project that they loved that they couldn't get a handle on. So there's sort of the there's a business aspect of it and then there's the emotional gratification of it. And I'm always sort of driven to that sort of my if I'm a moth, that's my flame before before money, although I'm glad to command the money that I do. And expertise demands a certain pay scale. Somebody who is just starting out, I think, doesn't have as much credibility in this arena. It would be harder for them to really be in the sort of the tier where I operate. But it's phenomenal to keep following what writers seem to want and to keep looking to the, the client for inspiration has never really led me astray. Lauren, I really want to bring this conversation to a close by asking you what advice you would give to aspiring writers out there. You work with them day in and day out, whether they're nonfiction writers or whether they are fiction writers. What advice would you give to anyone listening who just wants to be published, they want to have their words out there, and they want to live in their craft? First and foremost, write constantly. I think more people focus on the end goal than on the process and developing a real passion for the process and a consistency in its application is number one. You know, writers who don't write aren't writers. And, uh, and, <laughs> I, like and I would also, yeah, uh, but there are a lot of people who really, it's very glamorous and very enticing to spend a lot of time reading about writing, talking about writing, and not actually writing because that also can be a place of fear for people, fear of success, fear of failure. You know, the actual doing of the work is, is, a different, is definitely a different thing. So first and foremost, write. Secondly, read and absorb everything on craft that you can as long as you're not doing that in, as a substitute for writing. And same with workshops. It's really a good idea, and I don't mean this in any self-serving way, but just seek out really great instruction and really great help can take and I've heard this from dozens and dozens and dozens of clients and students over the years, can take years off the that process, the painful growing into expertise years. And so I, I highly recommend seeking out education of all kinds and help of all kinds and doing the work every day and being okay with starting small. Not everybody's first book is going to be traditionally published. You can start with short stories and get those out. You can start with articles and get those out. You can start with poetry and get those out. Sometimes one of my favorite moments as a writer to this day is when I happened to stumble across somebody who had been carrying one of my poems in his pocket when I was like 22 years old in Sarasota working at what's now FedEx office making copies. <laughs> the guy came in because he wanted to laminate the poem 
And that moment of that one-on-one connection is really what it's all about. So I think it's, it's important. And I think it's, I think you have to pursue the big dreams, but I think you have to also be willing to get on the ground and work as a writer and to be okay with taking all kinds of writing work, looking at all kinds of writing opportunities. That's what's really helped me develop is that I was enraptured by all of it and willing to do all of it and willing to try to, you know, plug me in as a ghostwriter. Sure. Plug me in to do this. Sure. Do you need an article on that? Great. You need marketing copy. Great even though I knew where I was aimed as a fiction writer, everything has been instructive and everything has been valuable. And I think writers need to really embrace that idea that everything is wonderful practice. Practice is what it's all about. That's the only way you get really great. You have to put in a whole lot of words to become a master at it. So I think that would be sort of my top level of advice is to to be open to all opportunities and to be willing to do the work and willing to get on the page every single day. Lauren, I really want to thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Wow. Like, I I really appreciate you going into so much about the traditional publishing process and just really being so open about the experiences that you've had. It's really, really been enlightening. Congratulations on Boomerang. I'm really, really proud of you for that. And um, I'm so so excited to see all three of them come out. And again, the first one coming out here in July. The show notes for this conversation are at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 71. And I will let you know that her book, Boomerang, is available on Audible. And if you go to the show notes, there's actually a link there and you can get your very first book for free. It is definitely a book that you want to read. It's hot and steamy, I'll tell you that. And it is a page turner. She is such a fabulous writer. Two major takeaways from that conversation with Lauren. One was that she constantly and continues to build out her services according to what her clients are truly asking for. And the second is, is that she really entrenched herself in the writing industry, in the writing community, and that not only fueled her business, but it gave her such great contacts as she was really pursuing her own writing dreams. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today. I can't wait to see you on the next episode.